must admit I've been a little, little nervous preparing to preach this homily. Such a large crowd and my first weekend and just a baby deacon and I have some difficult and sensitive things to talk about. And Father Vitalis has been affirming me, encouraging me. And so has Jesus in this gospel because I'm, I'm only here for this weekend. So he said, if they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, you know, <laughs> shake off your feet. So I'll do that. I'll literally do that. So I'm free. The harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. Jesus said 2,000 years ago that there are not enough laborers. There have never been enough laborers. And what kind of laborers is, is it talking about? There are many types of laborers in the church, but we saw him sending the apostles two by two. So in a particular way, he's talking about priests. We can extend that a little bit and say priests and religious brothers and sisters. There have never been enough. So that's true. But listen to these numbers. In 1981, there were 875 Catholics for every priest in the United States. 875 to 1. In 2012, there were 2,000 Catholics to every priest. In Idaho, there are 4,500 Catholics to every priest. And here at Holy Apostles, you feel that. There are maybe 12,000 Catholics. It's hard to measure exactly. There are 4,000 4, registered families. How many per family, and how many are practicing, and COVID. It's hard to say exactly, but we can say a rough estimate, 12,000. 12,000 Catholics for two priests. So 6,000 per priest. Religious sisters went from 180,000 in 1965 to 50,000 in 2014. There have never been enough, but something has happened in the last 50 years that have made the situation particularly stark. There are many layers to that equation, and I don't know them all, and even if I did, or even the ones that I do know, we don't have time to talk about them all. But one layer has been really prominent in the cultural discussion and dialogue recently, in the last couple of weeks especially, and that's of course the issue of Roe versus Wade. I know there are some young years here, so I'll just use some code words. But in 1972, when this happened, since then, there have been 63 million babies associated with Roe versus Wade. That's almost twice as many as the second leading cause of death, which is heart disease. We'll never know how many of those 63 million would have been priests or religious. Now, the Lord always leads with a message of mercy. When the Lord comes in and proclaims the kingdom of God is at hand, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, 
The point is not condemnation. The point is repentance in order to receive the kingdom of God. So if there's anyone here or if you know of anyone close to you that has been associated with Roe versus Wade, remind yourself and remind them that the church is extending a message of mercy to receive them into the fold, into the fold of the Lord. And of course, we have reason to celebrate. Roe versus Wade was just overturned a little over a week ago. There is a procession going on from Boise State University after Mass, after 11 a.m. Mass, there will be a procession from Boise State to the Capitol in celebration. So we'll unite, we'll unite our prayers to theirs. But, of course, we know that's not the end of the road in building this culture of life, this great vision of the Lord, of the Gospel, and of the Church. So what do we continue to do going forward? Listen to the words of St. John Paul II. It is an illusion to think that we can build a true culture of human life if we do not help the young to accept and experience the marital act and love and the whole of life according to their true meaning and their close interconnection. So we can't just talk about Roe versus Wade. We have to understand the entire message of the Lord in regards to the marital act, in regards to love and to life. We heard in the first reading from the prophet Isaiah, Oh, that you may suck fully of the milk of her comfort, that you may nurse with delight at her abundant breasts. He was talking about Jerusalem, and the Catholic Church is the new Jerusalem. So when we hear this reading proclaim that church, it's referring to the Catholic Church, and we can approach the church as our mother, and we approach her as children of our mother, and we receive from her life. We receive from her that milk. And when you see this, he continued, your hearts shall rejoice, and your bodies flourish like the grass. Picture a patch of grass, and how many blades there are on that patch. The prophet here is saying, your bodies will flourish like the grass. We heard in the second reading from St. Paul, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Circumcision and uncircumcision have no meaning anymore, but only a new creation. The new creation that flows from the cross of Christ. So what is that message of life and of love that is interconnected? Well, the church puts it this way. There are two purposes, two ends to the marital act. Procreation and raising of children and the unity of the couple. These two ends, the church says, ought not be separated. Here's a quote from the Catechism. These two meanings or values of marriage cannot be separated without altering the couple's spiritual life and compromising the goods of marriage and the future of the family. We don't have to think too hard about how is it that these two ends are often separated. And when we do, when we do this, the church tells us, we're doing it at, at the cost of compromising the goods of marriage and the future of the family. Now, when young people see this, they have some decisions to make. This, this, this perspective and this decision has some particular implications. Right away, they start developing the various virtues that are associated with love and with life. 
most relevantly here, the virtue of chastity. And they learn in adolescence how to love chastely, how to receive love from another in a chaste way, and how to give of themselves to uh, to another in a chaste way. And that preparation in adolescence is essential for their future husband, for their future wife, for their future marriage, and for their future children. In other words, they are already in adolescence putting down their lives for their future families. And as the Lord told us, to lay down one's life for one friend, one's friend, is the highest form of love. The invitation of the church is always to the highest form of love. Now the point isn't whether one does it perfectly or not. Nobody does this perfectly. Only our Lord and Our Lady. But when we stumble, we repent, we come to the Father, we come to the priest and confess, we get the resources we need, and we get back on the path of love. This, too, is part of the church's teachings, part of the church's fullness of life and of love. The problem isn't whether whether we're doing it perfectly or not. The problem is whether we believe the counterfeit version of love one that places the focus on ourselves and on our ability to provide for ourselves. Remember what the Lord Lord said, when you go out, carry no money bag, no sack, no sandals. The Lord is the one who provides for us. I have a, a friend, two friends who are parents, they're involved in ministry, have been since the beginning of their marriage, But after they got married and had their third child, they decided that they were done. Their lives were too busy, they had a business, they thought any more children would be too difficult for them. And so they started living their lives in that way, not open to any more children. They were involved in ministry, as I said, and they went to a youth conference with a youth group. And in that youth conference, they heard a message about love, about life, about about chastity, about the fullness of the church's teachings. And at first, they were really distraught. They were really afraid. And they went to the priest to talk about these things. And in that conversation, they had a conversion of heart. They went on on and had five more children. Your bodies will flourish like the grass. I can promise you they don't regret any one of those children. And we don't know yet how many of them will be priests and religious. Now, there is a temptation for priests and preachers and deacons to preach too long, and that's maybe especially a temptation for novice preachers like myself. But like I said, I'm only here for one weekend, so I'm going to keep going. I just want to share an image about the Eucharist as we transition to the liturgy of the Eucharist. We talk about the Lord giving us the fullness of the message of life and of love. The Lord gives us more than just a message. The Lord gives us himself. Father Vitalis, in a few minutes, is going to transform the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Christ. And Christ is going to offer himself to us. 
A spiritual director in the seminary told me that all good spiritual direction can be summarized with three questions. What do you want? What do you really want? And what do you really, really want? Because the first question brings up thoughts of material necessities. We need a better living situation in some way. That's, a, that's important. If we press further, maybe we arrive at a desire for better relationships. We want a better relationship with our husbands, our spouse, our wives, our children, our parents, our friends. And so that's what we really want. But if we press all the way to the deepest longing of our hearts, we discover a desire for the Lord. And that's what the saints do. That's how they live their lives, out of that desire for the Lord. One saint that exemplified that was St. Thomas Aquinas. And when he finished writing his treatise on the Eucharist, he came to the tabernacle and presented that treatise to the Lord. And then he, sat, he knelt down in prayer and waited. Meanwhile, another Dominican came into the chapel and sat in the back and observed what would happen next. Jesus came down from the crucifix and came before St. Thomas Aquinas, kneeling there in prayer, and asked him, You have written well of me, my son. What will you have as your reward? Now, he could have answered out of that first level and said, I want a better monastery, I want better food. He could have answered out of that second level and said, I want to heal my relationships with my brother monks. I want to heal my relationship with my parents who disapproved of me of going into religious life. But instead, he answered at the third level. And he said, non nisi te domine. Nothing but you, O Lord. That is what I'll have as my reward. So when we talk about the church's teachings in regards to life and love and the marital act, and even when we bring up these numbers, we're not doing this because we want to build a better better church on earth. That's That's not the point in the final analysis. The point is because deviating from the message of the gospel places an obstacle between us and the Lord. So we want to bring them to the altar, those obstacles, and offer offer them in sacrifice, united to the sacrifice of the priests, and ask the Lord to remove them from our lives so that we can receive not just the fullness of love and life, so that we can receive the fullness of the Lord. As Jesus himself concluded the gospel, Nevertheless, do not rejoice because the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven.